this. There we go. Good morning. Good morning. Yes, I love it. You guys are so good at that. Like this is, I mean, you're better than congregations of 300 that that you say good morning and they're like, good morning. It's sad. We are glad to be back with you uh, today. We're excited. Uh, it's a long drive to get out there. I kind of wish you had jet engines to get out there some of the time, but uh, nevertheless, it was a good trip. Bible study encouragement to the congregation there. Worked on the house uh, some more and planted seeds, watered seeds, and, and we're hopeful that uh, that God will give the increase. We are sure that he will. Uh, turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2, and that's where we're going to, to be uh, for most of today. We're going to take a look at, at the life of Moses, and we're going to talk about preparation and that God is working on us. There's an old Boy Scout motto, I guess it's still their motto, is be prepared, right? We're, we're familiar with be prepared, and that's a good thought. It's a biblical thought, as many of their, their ideas are grounded in biblical truth uh, from an organization that, you know, today may have, have lost its way uh, due to whatever political correctness, worried about their nonprofit status, whatever it may be. Uh, but the message of be prepared, it's still a good message and a biblical message. And I want to take a look at not just how we are to be prepared, but how God prepares us for things. Uh, we're going to take a look at some examples of how God prepared his people. And there are many examples of that, but I want to start with Moses. And I want to take a look at his life and how God prepared him. Uh, and I want to start just in, in Exodus chapter 2 uh, and reading verses 1 through 10. It says, And there went a man uh, of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi, and the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him, that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein, and she laid it in the flags by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along by the river's side. And when she saw the ark among the flags, <clears throat> she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses, and she said, Because I drew him out of the water. We, we take a look at Moses' early life, and, and clearly as a baby, the focus isn't really on him, is it? It's on the women that surround him. His mother, who we learn later is named Jacobed, uh, his sister, and Pharaoh's daughter, right? The focus is on them and the extraordinary things that they do 
to overcome tyranny. We look at Exodus 1, just just before this, the verse just before this, in, in verse 22, it says, And Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son that is born ye shall cast him into the river, and every daughter shall ye save alive. So he had made this horrible declaration to cast the male Hebrew children into the river. Did Jacobed follow that uh, edict? Well, I mean, not, at first she hit him, but eventually she cast him into the river. She does a little preparation first, right? But she does eventually put him in the river, and his sister goes along to see what's going to happen. Uh, and, of course, Pharaoh's daughter rescues him, and he ends up back with his mother, and now she's getting paid to do what she wanted to do uh, anyway. Uh, you know, it reminds me, one time, when we were in Jerusalem, my, my mom and I went to Jerusalem, we went to the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem, which is just an, a remarkable uh, and stressful place. Uh, and there's all these stories that you read while you're there, but one that impressed me was the story of a Jewish woman who, as she was being taken off, uh, either to the ghetto or from the ghetto to a concentration camp, there were these walls, uh, and you couldn't see over them. You knew there were people on the other side of the walls who were free, but you couldn't see over them. But she knew she was probably headed to her death, that she took her small child, a baby, and she threw him over the wall. And on the other side of the wall, there were a group of Christians who caught this child and raised the child, and the child survived because the mother did that. The mother didn't survive. She went off to her death at the concentration camps, and she probably never knew whether her child survived. But people will do remarkable things when faced with horrible tyranny. Uh, And that's what happens here. These women work together to save little baby Moses, right? And we look at Jacobed, we look at Moses' sister, uh, we look at Pharaoh's daughter, and their heart, they're full of, her, her heart is full of compassion. Moses' mother and, and daughter are both full of obedience and bravery in the face of this horrible persecution. And I think about 1 Corinthians 1, 27 through 29, which reads, But God chose what is foolish in the world, to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God, right? God, You see God's hand at work through all of this. They didn't know what would happen when they put him in the river. But from that event, eventually God's people are going to be liberated from slavery. God was preparing Moses by putting brave women in his life and surrounding him. And look at the reaction as Moses grows up. We read about it in Faith's Hall of Fame in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 through 27. It says, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. He was looking forward to the eternal reward. He was prepared. 
we look at Moses as he grows, and we start reading in verse 11 of chapter 2, we see that Moses really gets kind of a false start, doesn't he? So he's brave, he's choosing faith over the pleasures of sin, but let's read on in this story and look at verse 11, and it says, It came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens, and he spied an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew, one of his brethren. And he looked this way and that way, and when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together. And he said to them that did the wrong, Wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? And he said, Who made thee a prince and judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me, as thou killed the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. Now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Moses sees this burden, this tyranny of his people. And he appoints himself as prince and judge, doesn't he? He kills the Egyptian. Notice he kind of looks, he, you know, I gotta cover my tracks, I'm gonna make sure nobody's watching, right? But this Egyptian is mistreating a Hebrew, and he kills him, and he hides the body. And then the very next day, it's, he finds out that this thing is known, and one of his brethren says, who made you prince and judge over us, right? Well, that Hebrew man spoke correctly when he said, who made you a prince and judge? No one had, right? God had not told Moses, like he will later, to save his people and to lead his people. It was pride and presumption. In Acts chapter 7 and verse 26, it talks about Moses doing this, and he thought that, for he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God, by his hand, would deliver them but they understood not. We should not presume to understand how God is working and how he will bring about his will. We should not be filled with pride and self-sufficiency. In other words, we start thinking that we're really smart and we're really brave and we're willing to to take on the world. Uh, Youth often does that. I did that some in my youth. And when you start thinking that you're pretty good... That's when the world will knock you down every time. And you find out that it's not you. It's, it's you're relying on God and what he's given you and, and how he's prepared you. Uh, I don't think we should avoid either in the lessons of Moses the fact that he has a past. Uh, he was a murderer. He killed someone and he had to flee from that. He is now a hunted and wanted man. In fact, if you think about it, most of our our biblical heroes have pasts, don't they? They have problems that the Bible doesn't hide. It brings them out in their lives. And that's part of being a human being. We all have pasts too, don't we? I do, for sure. And I know that you do as well, because if anyone says that they don't have sin, then they are a liar. And... That doesn't mean that he's not going to be a hero. He's not going to overcome his past with God's help. 
God will use whom he will, even those with difficult or dark past. And I brought this up before, but we we're thinking about Paul and the life of Paul. Anytime you think about Paul, the first things that come to mind, I think the words we would use to describe Paul, great writer, missionary, preacher, you know, the struggle, the, the persecution he had to endure. Those are the kinds of things we think about with Paul. But that's not what the early church thought of Paul right after his conversion. Right after his conversion, the, the word that would have sprung to mind would be fear, right? They were afraid of Paul because he had persecuted people. He was there at the stoning of Stephen. He was an accomplice to, to murder. He drugged women and, and men off to prison for, for torture and sometimes death. Paul had a past, and yet God used him and prepared him for great service. And that's true for all of us. And sometimes he allows his champions to have smaller victories and difficult things before taking on bigger things. Uh, look at First Samuel chapter 17. And let's read just verses 36 and 37. And, uh, of course, we're up to here David and Goliath, right? And you get to verse 36 and 37 of 1 Samuel 17, and it says, Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear... He will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. As a child, I, I love the David and Goliath story. I mean, don't all children probably love that story because the world's pretty big to children, right? And, and they're pretty small. And so we look at the David and Goliath story and we think, you know, here's this small person taking on a large person, uh, and winning through God's help. And I remember as a child being taught that he also killed a bear and a lion as he was looking after sheep. But I always had it in my head, you know, the same way he killed Goliath with the slingshot, right? How, how did that go about? That's how you kind of picture it. But how does he picture it here, right before this? Back up two verses to verse 34. It says, And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him, and smote him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, and smote him and slew him. David was up close and personal with this lion, wasn't he? He wasn't just way far away throwing a, a sling at him. It seems like as he went to go get the sheep, he, he was hand-to-hand combat. God was preparing David for what was ahead. And that's what he's doing with Moses. Back to Exodus chapter 2, and we continue on, starting with verse 16. It says, Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water, and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped them, and watered their flock. And when they came to Raul, their father said, How is it that ye are come so soon today? And 
And they said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds, and also drew water enough for us and watered the flock. And he said unto the daughters, And where is he? Why is it that ye have left the man? Call him, uh, that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses Zipporah, his daughter, and she bare him a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger in a strange land. We see Moses' character here, right? He is once again helping the weak against the strong. And uh, for that, he is rewarded with a home there and a family. We see he is going on this 40-year journey where he is going to be prepared to lead God's people. He's going to be a shepherd. He's going to be humble, right? There's no nobility here. He's not the son of Pharaoh out there in Midian. He will learn to shepherd. He will have a family. He will learn patience, as you do when you have a family, uh, and age, and he will learn his own limits. Now, someone might ask, why didn't God use Moses when he was young, strong, willing to kill uh, an Egyptian in order to lead God's people and defend God's people? Why didn't God choose him then? But it's because God chooses the weak and the humble to show his power, to show that it's really God that's in charge, right? It's not through our own strength and our own wisdom. It's when Moses is 80 years old that God chooses him. And in fact, when God does decide to use him, he is now so humble that he doesn't think he's ready. He no longer thinks he's ready to go take on the world, right? He has gotten comfortable uh, in his current circumstance. And we look at Exodus 3 as he is speaking to God and conversing with God through the burning bush. And we look at this reaction in Exodus 3, 7 through 10. It says, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, and I know their sorrows. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large and uh, and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites uh, and etc. It says now therefore behold the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them come now therefore and I will send thee unto Pharaoh that thou mayest bring forth my people and the children of Israel out of Egypt. And what does Moses say in verse 11? He says, Who am I that I should go into Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? We start to see a reaction of Moses is, is, yeah, I'm not really good enough to go do that. If you remember the last time I, I tried to do something like that, it didn't end too well. I had to flee for my life, and I've been 40 years out here being a shepherd and a family man. Who am I that I'm going to go to Pharaoh? And God helps him overcome that objection. But as you go on in verse 13, he comes up with another objection. Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come to the children of Israel and shall say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, they will say, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? They won't even know who sent me, he said. Of course, God answers that objection. You get to chapter 4. And verse 1, and he says, well, they won't believe me. 
They won't believe that you've sent me to, to rescue them. They didn't believe me last time. They, they said, who appointed you uh, as judge over us? And God says, well, it's okay. I'm going to send all these signs, and it will show that you are carrying out my will, and they will believe you. You get down to verse 10, what does he say? Well, I'm not a very good speaker. I'm not very eloquent, you know. Uh, and and God says, it's okay, I'm going to send Aaron, and he'll, he'll help you. Uh, he'll speak for you. He doesn't say, well, you are a pretty good speaker. You'll be all right. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't say that. He says, I'll give you some help. And you get to verse 13, chapter 4 and verse 13. And I really like this, this passage because I felt this way myself. And I think some of us have probably felt this way. I like how the ESV translates verse 13. He says, but he said, Moses said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else, right? So he has had this long argument with God, essentially, look, I don't know, you know, they're not going to believe me, they don't, who am I going to say has sent me, all these things, I'm not a very good speaker, who am I? And God has answered all of those objections, but really it comes down to this, just please just send somebody else, this is really hard, what you've asked me to do, I'm not prepared. But God says that you are prepared, I have prepared you, and I will take care of you. And it will be okay. And he sends Moses, and of course, Moses goes. God has answered all of his concerns. He has persisted in his choice of Moses. Moses is going to go and carry out the will of the Lord. Moses, the deliverer, was snatched from the waters. He was educated and prepared in Pharaoh's household. He was surrounded by brave women and a good family. He has had his pride then humbled and his human strength replaced with divine dependence through this 40-year journey in the desert. And now he is ready for an even greater task. He is going to go and deliver Israel. And there are a lot of other things that he, he deals with, of course. We're not going to go through all of that as time will not allow. But we'll say this. He, he had to deal with the rebellious people who kept looking at the difficulties they were facing and looking back to slavery. Say, oh, we had it better in Egypt. I wish we were still slaves. It's crazy. God has delivered them out all of these plagues. They saw all the mighty power of God and then they start grumbling against Moses. Moses has to face Pharaoh who comes after him, God takes care of them there. He faces doubt and mutiny of the people. He faces betrayal from his own family. The people fail to carry out God's will. They end up having to wander 40 years in the desert. And Moses uh, sins and isn't allowed to go into the promised land, although he's allowed to look into it. But Moses was prepared for all of that by God through everything that God had put in his path before that. And I think the application is to us. Sometimes we go through difficult times, difficult problems, and there's an old song that seems appropriate here. It says, God is preparing me. He is preparing me for something I cannot handle right now. He's making me ready just because he cares. He's providing me with what I need to carry out the next matter 
in my life. He's maturing me. He's arranging me. He's preparing me. He is training me. He is tuning me. He is purging me. He is pruning me for everything that comes in my life. When we look to God for our strength and for our guidance, He will put us on the correct path. When we rely on His strength instead of our own, He will always come through for us. So this morning, if you were on that path, if you are, have obeyed the gospel and you are walking in the light as, as He is in the light, then I urge you to continue to rely on Christ, to rely on the power of Jesus to save us through His blood and the grace of God who provided that to us. But if you have not obeyed the gospel, you have not put on Christ in baptism, we would urge you to do so this morning or to study with us if you don't fully understand how that works. We would love to show you in the Bible Nobody here is trying to trick anybody or get people's money or anything like that. We just want people to come to a knowledge of the truth and to obey the gospel so that we can all share a home in heaven. And if you've been on that path, but you have fallen off, you have let sin come into your life, you have stopped trusting in God, we would encourage you to make that right. Do it right now. Don't leave here lost as we stand and sing.